Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. I'm going to show you a picture of one of the scariest things in the world to me. Now, I'm telling you that in advance because I don't want you to be surprised, and I know that some of you uh, might have that same fear, and this may shock you a little bit. So I just wanted to make sure that everyone is prepared. Um, In fact, I'm not even going to look at the screen because this is very frightening to me. It's It's a boarding pass. Okay. How many people understand why this is scary to me? All right, let's go to the next one. No, I, this is an old boarding pass. All right, do you see it now? All right, in this particular airline, and I don't know if any of you have ever flown this particular airline, but on this particular airline, they don't assign you seats in advance. You don't get a seat number before you get to the airport. What they do is they put you in groups, and then they give you a number, and you go in order according to your group and then your number. So you get to choose as you get onto the plane where you go and where you seat, where you sit. So the A group goes first and it goes from 1 to 60 and then the B group goes next. And then finally at the very end is the C group. And I work very, very hard. I set an alarm on my phone so that when it is 24 hours, actually 23 hours and 58 minutes before my flight, I am ready to get on there and check in so that I can be in the A group. Sometimes it's scary because I get into the B group, but my total nightmare is to be in the C group because when you're in the C group, there are no window seats left. There are no aisle seats left. The only thing that's left is the middle seat. And for me, flying anywhere in the middle seat on a plane is one of the scariest things that I've ever had to do. I hate being in the middle seat. Because when you're in the middle seat, you can't move. You, 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 you're trapped. You, 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 you have, I mean, there's no rule about who gets the armrest. Do I get the armrest? Do I get it on both sides? Do I get one side? You can't breathe. I feel like if I ask the person um, next to me to move, that I'm in, inconveniencing them. And so it becomes a complete trap. And I absolutely hate it. Because you're stuck. And when you're on the aisle, and even on the window, but especially when you're on the aisle, when you have space, you feel less pressure, right? When you have space, you, you can think a little bit clearer. When you have space, you tend to make better decisions. And so today, as we uh, start our new series on uh, making space, um, what I want to talk about, uh, and what we're going to talk about over these next few weeks, is this idea that... Um, We need to make space in our lives to allow God to be in that space and to help us be who God is calling us to be. Because one of the things that is a problem for many of us is that we fill every gap, every gap in our time, every gap in our finances, every gap that we have, we fill it with us. And as long as everything is filled with us, we don't give God a chance to move. 
And so specifically over these next few weeks, what we're going to be talking about is making space in our finances. And you probably have heard this before, that in the, in, if you look throughout Scripture, Jesus talks more about finances than he talks about love. He talks about finances more than he talks about sin. He talks about finances more than he talks about anything. And so every year here at Grace Point, we always do a series on a little, getting a little bit of margin, getting a little bit of space. Normally, we do this a little bit farther along in the year, but I wanted to start it off this year because this, I, I read this interesting fact. Over the holidays, among us, those of us living here in the United States, the average that every single person spent on Christmas gifts, $920. Some of you have been holding out on me. $920 is the average. Now, that, okay, that's, that sounds fair. $920 is Christmas. But the thing that shocked me was this, was that 40% of us borrowed $500 or more to cover that $920. That we are swimming in debt. And if we don't, if we're not intentional about how we handle our finances, and if we... Uh, eliminate from the equation of how we handle our finances anything that has to do with God, then what happens is, is that we end up not being able to find that margin and not being able to live into who God has called us to be. And to do that, we have to make room up here, but we also have to make room in here so that we can understand not just what our relationship with our money and our stuff is, but also so that we can understand how that affects our relationship with God. And I feel like right now, there's probably a lot of us in here who are feeling like we're sitting in the middle seat when it comes to the airplane of managing our finances. Like there's some of us, we, we feel trapped. And listen, that feeling of being trapped has nothing to do with your level of income. Because I know people who make hardly anything and they feel trapped. And I know people who make hardly anything and they feel free. And I know people on the other end of the spectrum who feel both the same way. It's not about income. It's about understanding what our relationship to our stuff should be. And when we feel trapped in this particular area, it's hard because we feel like we can't ask anyone for help. We feel like if we move, we can't ask someone else to move for us. We, we feel like we're in everyone's way. And when we don't have enough room in any area, when we don't have enough room, it affects our ability to work. It affects our ability to rest. It affects our ability to relax. And especially affects our ability to make good decisions. And for, for many of us, the, the reason or the, the way that we deal with our finances is really stems back to how we grew up being taught about money and how we grew up being taught about stuff. So just for a minute, I want you to just pause for a minute and think about what your earliest experience or lesson was, that the thing that you really picked up about money uh, from when you were a child. And it could be about money, it could be about stuff, it could be about status. But think about what was that earliest memory that you have. For me, I know very clearly. Because when I was growing up, my brothers and I, we didn't have an allowance, which always kind of bothered me because all of my friends had an allowance. Now, we had everything we needed and a lot of the things that we wanted, but we didn't have any discretionary income. Like, there was nothing that we could do on our own. And so the, the, the thing that came to my mind that I kind of grew up with was this whole idea that if, 
if there was something you wanted, if you, if you wanted to get money, then you had to go out and get it. And so I remember even as a child uh, that my brothers and I, we would think, okay, we wanted to get some money. So what we would do is we would take all of the, the bottles. Because back then, well, actually, they have bottles now, soda in bottles now, right? But back when I was growing up, all the soda was in bottles. And you could take the bottles back. And so we would go down to 7-Eleven, and you could turn in the empty bottles, and they'd give you 10 cents. And so we would just wait until the bottles accumulated, and then one day after school, we'd sneak upstairs, grab all the bottles, walk down to 7-Eleven, and we could buy stuff because we got 10 cents for each bottle. I even remember uh, getting a pencil box, and we would have, like, uh, a new pencil and a sharpened pencil and a pen. I think there was a paperclip chain that we had in there. And we would go door to door to all of our neighbors asking them if they wanted to buy a pencil for 10 cents. We actually thought that we'd charge more for the pencil that was already sharpened because we did all the work for them. But this was my initial you know, understanding of, of, of money, and I think that's one of the things that kind of stuck with me. And those early memories that we have shape how we interact with and how we feel and, and what we think about money. And the problem is, is that for many of us, even if we grew up having great lessons about how to manage our finances... For many of us, we didn't learn how managing our finances relates to our relationship with God. And so today, that's what I want to do. Today, I want us to take us through a passage in Scripture that, for some of you, is going to be one that's very familiar. Uh, it's one that, that we hear a lot about. And um, what I'm hoping is, is that as we go through this passage, that we're going to see not just the benefit of, of knowing what our relationship with God and our relationship with our stuff has to do with each other, but also that we're going to see how God, if we give him permission, interjects himself into the areas that we give him permission to enter. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, which was written by Matthew, and we're in the 25th chapter. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, you want to open them up and follow along with me. Uh, But I know that most of you won't because you know we put them on the screens One day, I'm going to forget to put them on the screens, and then you'll be out of luck. But today, you're fine. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And this is Jesus talking, and he's going to tell a story, a parable. And this is what he says. He says again, because he had just finished telling one story, uh, one parable, and now he was going to tell a second one. And he says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, for some of you, you grew up uh, hearing about this story as the parable of the talents. And the reason is, is that in, the, in, in many of the older translations, they don't say bag of silver. What they say is they say talents. That, that the first servant got uh, five talents, and then the second one got ten and, or, or two and, and one. And that word talent that we use today, back then, did not mean what we use it for today. Back then, the word talent meant um, weight. It meant measure. And so when they were talking about a talent, they were talking about a a weight or a measure. That you would find the value of something based on how much that it weighed. 
And in fact, the word that we use today as talent is actually derived from this story. It evolved out of this story to come to mean not money, but your abilities and your skills. And many people today, they talk about this and that's what they see, is that they say they see that it means abilities and skills and experience and not just money. So he goes on and, and, and Jesus says this. He says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So one of the first things that we see here is that the master entrusted his stuff to his servants. And that word entrusted simply means to trust in. Entrusted means to trust in. And so what was happening was that the master was trusting in his servants. He was placing his trust in them. And when we think about that, the message that Jesus is trying to tell us is this, is that the things that we have, the things that we have been given, are things that God has placed in our hands because he trusts us with it. He trusts you with everything that you have. Not just your stuff, But he also trusted you with your abilities. He trusted you with your skills. He trusted you with your talent. And he trusted you with all of the experiences that you've been through in your life that brought you to this place and to this time. Now, do you see how this idea that all of this came from God, that God was the one who placed that trust in you, could change our perspective on how we look at the things in our lives and how we interact with God based on this idea that everything that we have comes from Him. That it's not because we deserve it, or because it it came to us on our own, but because He decided to place it in our hands. It's it's the same thing as, as the difference between being a homeowner and being a tenant. When you are a tenant, you're responsible for the thing that you've been placed, that's been placed in your hand. You're responsible for the home. You're responsible to be a good steward of that home, to take care of it. But you don't own it. The the homeowner owns it. The homeowner owned it before you got there. The homeowner is going to own it after you're gone. But in the time period that it's in your hands, you are responsible for it. Uh, King David, one of the ancient kings of Israel who who wrote so much uh, in in conversation and talking to God, and who Scripture calls a person who was after God's own heart. He would write that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, in his experience as the king of, of the at that time, the most powerful nation on earth, that he looked around and saw everything that he had. And he... He looked at all of that, and in his conversations with God, in his interactions with God, he came to the realization that everything in the world belongs to God. The world and all its people all belong to him. Now, I know, you know, you might be here today, maybe you're watching us online right now, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't seem quite fair. I mean, come on. God's I'm the one who's doing all the work. I'm the one that's getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going to work no matter what it looks like. I'm the one who's doing it. How can it possibly be God's? And see, that's easily our perspective if we don't acknowledge that all of those things that we have that lets us do the work, our abilities, our experience, all of those things actually come from God. That the entire time, He's been your silent partner. 
He's been your main investor. He's been the one who's been working in the background, not just for everything that you have, but every opportunity that you're being led into. And if we're smart, then what we're going to see is that, you know, when we think about stuff being our own, it's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure that comes with thinking that everything that I have that's in my hands, I've got to do everything I have to do to protect it. I have to do everything that I can do to make sure that it all stays there, that nothing gets lost, that that it continues to grow. But when we understand that it's all God's, and that all He's asking us to do is to make good decisions, then everything that happens has nothing to do with us. It has to do with our faithfulness to Him. It has to do with how is it that He will do the work when we trust Him with the stuff, with our stuff. So the first thing that we see in, in this story that Jesus, telling is, that Jesus is talking to us about is this. It's that to make space in my fa- finances, I need to understand that all I have is from God. All I have is from God. Amen. And when we embrace this truth that everything in my life, not just my bank account, not just my real estate, not just the stuff that I have, But my abilities, my experience, my skills, all of that has been trusted, entrusted to me, that's been given to me because God trusts me with it. It changes how we look at everything. Look at the next verse. It says this, After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. So if the first step was for us to understand that everything that I have is from God, then as we're coming to here, we're seeing that there's going to be a time when we're going to have to account for it. Where we're going to have to say, okay, I was given this gift or these gifts. What did I do with them? Now, before we get into that part, I want to, I want to jump forward because there was one person who looked at what was going on and, and, and one of the servants who, who saw what he had been given to the other guy on his left, what he had been given to the other guy on his right, and then what he had in his hands. And instead of doing what the others did, he let something stop him from living into what God had called him to do. And this is what he said. We're going to go, fast forward a little bit. He says this in verse 25. He says, I was afraid. I was afraid. And for many of us, we've experienced times when our fear stops us from doing and living into what God wants for us. Sometimes we have fear of judgment because we're hesitant to fail. We don't want people to, to start talking about us like, like, oh, that didn't work out. And so we, we, we miss opportunities or we let opportunities go by. Sometimes we have a fear of failure. And that feel of failure causes us to play it safe. Instead of having faith and stepping out in faith, sometimes it's a fear of loss. That we look at all that we have and we're worried that we're going to lose what we have. And so we take these steps that anybody else around us will say, this is a ridiculous thing to do, but to us it looks like this is the only thing that we have to do. Because when you only have one, like that third guy then it's hard to lose one. And I think most of us have, have felt that at some time in our life. And maybe some of us are feeling that right now. Just that fear of something that we don't know. 
When, when I was growing up, um, when I was in elementary school, I had to walk home from school. And uh, this, our, our school was at the bottom of the hill, and my house was up towards the top of the hill. So every day we had to walk up and around. And there was a shortcut. And, and I love shortcuts because, first of all, uh, back then I wasn't a walker. Um, yeah, back then. All right. <clears throat> back then I wasn't a walker, right? And so any shortcut for me was great. Well, there was this great shortcut. You would go up around, go into the schoolyard, and then the back of all of the houses, there was a hill, and there was a path up the hill. So you would just walk straight up the hill, and then in between these two houses right at the corner, there was a pathway, and then it wasn't really steps, but they had like carved pieces of wood into it. So, so there were kind of steps, these big steps to get up, and it probably saved about four minutes in my walk. But to me, that was like amazing. Let's, let's do this. Now, it was fine when it was daytime because I'd go up the hill and then walk between the trees and then up those steps, and I'd come out right on my street, just a few houses from my house. But at night, it was horrible. Because you would hear things. You'd hear the wind blowing. And, and, and you would see things. And, and I was 100% certain that once the, the sun went down and it was nighttime, that there was somebody camping in those trees waiting for kids to come up there so that he could get them. And so I would never, ever go up that hill at nighttime because I knew there was somebody there. Well, wouldn't you know it, when I was in the fifth grade, one of the guys that, that, that owned a house that was right next to this path, he put a light there. And it was brand new technology because he put a light there that went off during the daytime, but went on at night. Come on. It, it, back then, this was an amazing thing. I was like, whoa, this light comes on when it starts to get dark. And so there I was, and I was walking up, and it turns out, that there was no guy living there. I was kind of disappointed because I was hoping that now that the light's on, I'd get to see what this guy looks like, but there was nobody there. See, the problem with fear is that fear makes us believe things that aren't true. In every area of our life, fear leads us to believing things that aren't true. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to, to kind of have the courage to... Shine a light on our fears. And this is one of those things that, that I know for me personally, in fact, when I was kind of going through this, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, some of these cut a little bit deep. Because I, I feel like um, I have been in every one of these situations, in every one of these options. And, and, and that's what I kind of want to do for all of us here, is to kind of take an honest look and, and not say anything, and there's going to be no raising hands, but to just take a look at these five options and to, to, to honestly think about where it is that you are and that I am right now. Because by seeing these things and by identifying where we are, it's the first step to knowing where it is that God wants us to go. So option one is this. Option one is, I require financial assistance to get by. Option two I'm struggling to keep up with day-to-day expenses. Option three, I am able to make ends meet. Option four, I am able to make ends meet and have some left over. And then option five, I have more than I need for myself 
and my family. You see, acknowledging where we are means that we're able to focus on where we need to go. And listen, many of us have been all through this spectrum, up and down it. That, that there were times where we've been at five, there's times that we've been at one, there's times that we've jumped back and forth. And the thing that changes with all of us is that if we, if we only use what the world teaches us about finances, that we are going to be led, led down the path that the world tells us where we should go. Because for most of us, where do we get our information on how we handle our finances? It's either from how we were raised or by the financial industry. And we see commercials for that all the time, right? And listen, there are some great financial advisors. There are some really great vehicles for your investments and and for things to grow your finances. But a lot of the financial industry is based on us spending more than we have and paying someone else for that privilege. And it's important for us to know that because there are things that Scripture tells us. There's things that God teaches us. He says, you know, use what you have, but... Don't spend more than you make. Like scripture tells us that we have to be careful who we borrow from. Because there's a certain relationship between the person who borrows and the person who you're borrowing from. And that relationship can be dangerous if you're not careful. Look what he says. Jesus continues on with the story in verse 20. He says, The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. And said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. And what did the master do? It says that the master was full of praise. He said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful handling this small amount. And we're going to skip forward a little bit, and it says that the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two, and I have earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. But then he comes to the third guy. And he says, the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, despite the fact that each of the servants got a different amount, it was really only the behavior of acting in faith and managing the master's stuff well that was acknowledged. And both of the servants who trusted and had faith and stepped out and managed well that were good stewards of the master's stuff were the ones that were rewarded. Even though they didn't begin with the same amount, they were rewarded and they were recognized in the beginning, it said that he gave it to them according to their abilities. Because it doesn't say this, but I'm almost certain that the guy who got the five, there was a time before where he got the one. And he got the one and he did something with the one that got him to the place where he got two. And he did something when he got the two to get to the place where he got five. See, it doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is what you do with what you have. And how we are faithful in stewarding the stuff that God gives us, that God puts in our hands, is important because if we think that everything that we have is ours, we're all alone. You're all alone. 
And that means every decision that you make is all on you. Every mistake that you make is all on you. Every time that you step into a situation, it's all on you. But when we understand and live into this idea that we're just taking care of this stuff for God, and that the more that we trust in Him and the more that we're good stewards of those things, that He trusts us with more, it changes our perspective. And what it does is, it, and, and for everybody who's ever done this, who's ever made that decision, what they start to see is this, is that as you trust God, you find more margin in your life. You find more space. So to make space in our finances, we need to understand two things. All I have is from God, but all that I do with it is for God. I mean, he doesn't call us to be accountants. No offense to the accountants. Yeah, I know there's one of you in here. It's probably two of you, but... He, does, he doesn't call us to be accountants, but he does call us to give an account. And most of us have had a time or two in our lives where we were actually scared to look at our bank account. Have you ever been there? Yes. Where we, we just don't want to know what's left? Yes. And so one of the things that we tend to do is is that because we don't want to know what's left, we, we, we figure out that the best way to not think about what's left is to take what's left and, and spend it on a 20-piece on a McNuggets. Because they're only $5. But that isn't the way that God has called us to live. See, every financial decision that we make is an opportunity for us to decide where we're placing our faith and our trust. Is our faith and trust in me and what I can do? Is my faith and my trust in my bank account and my 401k? Is my faith and trust in my stuff? Or is my faith and my trust in God? And that he is going to be the one to protect it and to grow it. He's going to be the one to intervene in those things. Because every financial decision is actually a spiritual decision. It's all about who gave it to me and who am I responsible to for it. And if every financial decision is a spiritual decision and it's an opportunity, then it also reveals who we see God as when it comes to our stuff. They tell us what's important. In fact, you probably heard this before, but I can take your, your checkbook and your calendar and I can tell you exactly where your priorities are. Wherever you're spending your time and your money is the things that is most important in your life. Because that's what we do with the things that are important to us. And how we manage our resources, how we manage our time, how we manage our things speaks volumes about whether or not we have really placed our faith and trust in God. Because essentially that's what it's about. It's not about the money. It's just that money is the thing that hooks into so many of us and hooks in so deeply with so many of us. But if we do it God's way, see, Scripture tells us that there's a reward, that there's a recognition, that it's not, that it's not selfish when we want things to happen and to do more and to increase. L listen to, in both of the times that, that, that Jesus tells this story, after he talks about the person with the, that got the, the five talents and after he talks with the person who got the two talents, he ends that conversation with them exactly the same way. He says this. He says, you have been faithful in handling this small amount so. See, so. 
You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now, think about this. The guy with the one talent was was a small amount. The guy with the two talents, it's a small amount. The guy with the five talents, it was a small amount. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that no matter what is in your hands right now, no matter what's in your bank account, no matter what you've got going on in your life right now, everything that you've got, it's still a small amount compared to what God has in store for you. He says, if you are faithful in handling the small amount, I don't care what it is. If it's in your hands right now, it's a small amount. If you're faithful in handling that, he says, so the result of that is, now I will give you many more responsibilities. You've been faithful in the small amount. I am going to give you more. You've shown me I can trust you with this. I'm going to unload on you. You've been faithful in the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. And he says, Let's celebrate together. Now, I, I normally love this translation. You know that this is where I preach out of. But I, there, in, in the, uh, there's another translation where it says, instead of it says, let's celebrate together, it says, come into the party. And I love that idea. That after the, the work and the sweat and, and making those wise decisions and doing what God calls us to do, at the end of the day, he says, come on, come inside. We're going to have a party. Isn't that pretty amazing? When we look at it and we think to ourselves, wait, everything that I've got is actually God looking at me and saying, yeah, he can handle it. Yeah, she's going to be able to do something with that. And so he takes all of that and he puts it in our hands and he says, go. Do it. And when I get back, you're going to account for it. But I know that if you do what it is that you're supposed to do, when I get back, I'm going to see and I'm going to give you even more. And the interesting thing is, is that as we get better at managing our finances and we start to find this breathing room, this margin in our lives, then as we often do and move between those options as we often do because we never know how life is going to go, that we get to places where things are just overflowing. And sometimes we can go from that immediately to a place where, man, things are really tight right now. But when we've got that margin built in and when God is the one who is with us, that no matter where you are on that spectrum and no matter how much you might bounce around, that you're always going to have peace, that it's not going to take away your joy, that you're not going to have any pressure, And that you'll be confident in knowing that it's not going to stay the way that it is. And that in those times where we've wished that we've had more time and more energy and more of anything, that we're not going to feel that pressure because there's margin in our lives. So the key from getting it from up here to in here is one thing. It's gratitude. It's being thankful for everything that comes our way. Because you see, when we're not thankful, then we think it's us. But when we're thankful, when we see things come and we say, God, thank you for that. See, gratitude keeps our focus on who it's from and who it's for. Gratitude keeps our focus away from me. And it it keeps us focused on who gave it all to us. 
and who we're managing it for. And as long as we keep in our minds and as long as we don't let go of who gave it to us and who it's for, then we give God an opportunity to do amazing things in the things that he's put into our hands. And we'll start to see God differently. We'll start to see God as a provider who provides everything that we need. We'll start to see God as the protector who doesn't let... um, There's a place in Scripture where it says that He will not let the devourer come into our midst. That the thing that's trying to eat it up, we're going to be protected from it. And we'll start to appreciate it, appreciate Him even more. And the great thing is, is that when we become thankful, when we express that gratitude... We start to see where God moves in our lives. We start to see the things that God is doing. And we actually start to feel a change inside of us. Because we stop being pressured to perform. And we get to see God do what God always does. And prove that what he said in his word is true. That he loves us like a perfect heavenly father who wants to do great things for his kids. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.